This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. feeling today jordan i'm feeling pretty good it's uh it's a day but every day that we end closer to football every day that we end closer to some real deal things i'm starting to think about how i'm purchasing sunday ticket because it doesn't look like they're letting you pay monthly which is annoying uh starting to think about uh the ohio state season uh and all of the sicko things that I'm going to do, preparing for preview podcast. I mean, yeah, I can't. And it's Thursday. It's almost the weekend. Wonderful. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, you're right. I, I'm starting to see some small numbers when it comes to how many weeks until college football starts, how many days until college football starts. So that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, you know, it is a Thursday. Um, we always kind of do this where it's like, yeah, Thursday's not Friday, but we're almost to the weekend. So um, only a few more. And I, I think like you, like me, um, once it gets to that football season, the weeks just move by quicker. Um, the days just feel a little longer and everything just gets a little better when it's back. Uh, I mean, yeah, which is both good and bad because there's like the little nagging thing in the back of my mind that's like, it's about to get cold soon. Winter yeah, is coming. No, uh, I, I like sweatshirts. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Although, um, I don't know if it's an official refresh, and I don't want to say their names because they're not paying us, even though they're paying everyone else. But uh, the place we like to shop, I saw some new Ohio State stuff because Dante owes me some Ohio State stuff. And I'm like, did they upload this? And I didn't see it. Did they? Because they've been doing all these refreshes, and I've been waiting for the Ohio State refresh. And I, maybe I just hadn't looked in so long that I didn't recognize some of this stuff. But it felt like there was, you know, one or two new things on there. But ultimately, uh, I am gonna go get some stuff from there. Uh, and if you ever, you know, if they ever want to pay us, I will speak glowingly because I do very much enjoy their stuff. But 
there's enough people speaking their name and their glory throughout the college football podcast sphere. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I, I would speak their name as well. I'll probably go with the classic, just get a fresh Nike polo, see how it goes. They lose a game, I'll go back to my old one, and that's just the comfort I live in. Um, but, yeah, I, it's it's getting close. Like, we're starting our previews today, our conference previews around the country. It's going to be pretty fun. Pac-12 today. Um, Women's you know, World I, Cup starts tomorrow. Yeah, USA all the way out. What's it, a three-peat coming in? Yeah, no, it's um, two. They're going to try they're trying to get the three-peat for the first time ever. Yeah. No one has ever three-peated, and I think we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it, it, is it Crystal Rodman? She's a dog. They can't lose in Megan Rapinoe's last year. Alex yeah, Morgan's still on the team. Too uh, many good storylines. Uh, yeah, it's like they're, they're going to do it. I mean, got to. Yeah, and I was reading about how they expanded the tournament, which is incredible because I think they've been talking about doing it with the men's game, and it's like, man, it's going to water down the World Cup. But, like, I feel like – Opening up that opportunity, expanding the tournament, putting more games on. There's only it only grows the game more. So I'm incredibly excited to see how well it's run with the Women's World Cup because I think that's really awesome. Because there's a lot of first time countries who got to go and it like kind of opened the door for quite a few fo- uh, football federations across the world to get representation on this level of the stage. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because it's like it's a mix of them finally taking it serious and treating women's sports with a a modicum of respect and also a testament to what other federations have done. Because, I mean, for a long time, as bad as the issues were with the United States, with the pay differential and and all of that other kind of stuff, for a long time, there were a lot of federations who only supported men's soccer. Like there, you know, there couldn't be a larger women's world cup because insert country only had a men's team. They didn't have a women's team. And some of those country, I mean, you know, the uh, NWSL is one of the big, if, if not the biggest, I think it's the biggest women's soccer league in the world, even though soccer is not the biggest sport here, far from it, because these other countries don't have you know there's not uh as if there's even one what is it the what's the european league called that everyone watches uh they have quite a few they've got the super league which is like the champions league for the women and then the english premier league just has a women's premier league and they're starting to really establish those across europe that just coincide with the men's league yeah, so it's like for a while they didn't have those or they weren't super populated and all this other kind of stuff, which allowed the women, the U.S. women and the NWSL to kind of get into that space. And now you're starting to see women's soccer blow up all over the world and you're starting to see these uh, federations actually house women's soccer, which is allowing the World Cup to grow, which is going to make it even more uh, fun. So. Yeah, it's already underway. Going to be big. Um, yeah, let's transfer to some other news as well. We've got Northwestern, the updates. Uh, it's not looking good. Um, I don't know if you read the same article on The Athletic that I read, but um, they very much detailed before Pat Fitzgerald got there, some of these traditions were starting. And... We don't have to spend much time on this because we want to do some serious detail. And I know you said pre-show you're going to save this for uh, I-70 next week. 
but I, I think that's just an absurd look. It's kind of right on point with what we were saying last week that Pat Fitzgerald played there. Um, I'm sure they knew Camp Kenosha has been going on since Pat Fitzgerald's coach. Um, just seeing stuff like what how they were doing the car wash and it was called something else before that. It, it was really kind of this big of one. There's so many more players coming about. And uh, the one thing I really want to say is like, I see all these people in the comment section and they're like, oh, this is despicable. They have a civil rights dirty on it. This is just like a money grab. Like this is all it is. And I know they're probably Northwestern grads or I know they're people who have like been part of behavior like this that are very insecure right now. And I, I just can't sit here and see that as a serious thing. Cause like, number one, if you're a civil rights attorney, it's your job is to litigate powerful organizations for the wrongdoing of people who tend to be powerless um, against those institutions. That's exactly what these Northwestern players are. A lot of people are like, how did this go on for 25 years without someone telling you? Well, the power dynamics in college football have changed significantly. Players have mobility. Players have the ability to move between schools now. Um, there isn't really that gaping you can't leave unless you have you're not going to have a scholarship if you leave like there's not that fear of losing that as much as there used to be so like players are more protected now and that's opening this door finally for one player at Northwestern to step up and speak on these issues and you know reading it it's kind of an encapsulation on just how that whole boys will be boys mindset has kind of been used to excuse a lot of this stuff and it's pretty rough to read that and see that there's people who are dealing with issues from like 1998 and people were on the same team with a guy like Pat Fitzgerald and he still allowed that stuff to happen even if people said that Pat wasn't necessarily into it while he was in the program it's still incredibly problematic that it kept happening yeah I think at this point if anyone can believe and I don't want to relitigate this because we talked about it but if anyone can believe that Pat Fitzgerald one didn't know about it and two wasn't the um the standard setter of this and making sure that this continued on in his program, I think that they're naive. Very, very, they're either naive or they're intentionally being stupid uh, at the end of the day. So, um, I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up again, because um, on this podcast, because we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, is there are two about to be three separate lawsuits. One has already eight or 15. I know for sure eight, but I think the last number I saw was 15 players signed up on it. And it is not just football players there. And then there is a separate one that is one player against the school who was there from 18 to 22. And then there's a third one that's about to be filed. That third one isn't going to include Jim Phillips, who, if I didn't mention on the last show, I definitely mentioned on I-70, was the athletic director during this entire period of time. And the AD who got, had to resign from uh, due to the cheerleading scandal and how he handled that was being promoted to replace Jim Phillips. So at current, there is one class at one major class action lawsuit that is going to include players from multiple teams and it is supposed to expose softball baseball 
volleyball, maybe? I'm not going to say volleyball. I'm just going to say softball for sure, which is a new sport and at least two or three other sports that have not been talked about yet because we've only heard about cheerleading, football, and we only heard about in baseball. But it's supposed to introduce a couple other sports. These lawsuits between the varying ones, they include Jim Phillips. They include Northwestern. One, at least one of them includes the Board of Regents. They include both presidents, both current and previous presidents as a whole because again they're all there's all slightly different uh they include multiple athletic directors multiple head coaches multiple various different administrators between the three of these they include all of northwestern and the northwestern community and the athletic department um this is big and it's only going to get bigger and and one of them one of them the players and I don't have their names I should have pulled it up but I don't want to get that too deep into it I'll get into that on Sunday which drops on Monday but one of them players put their names to it like that like they're like no this lawsuit like we'll put our names to it there are four or five players one of them being a former quarterback on the roster who put their name to the lawsuit so this is not going to go away this is going to get very 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 bad um and honestly i don't know how anyone survives it um i really don't and it's going to i think that there are going to be some things that come out because one of the lawsuits talks about and it's the one where the players named themselves they said it was so pervasive that some of the assistant coaches joined in on it. Yeah. Um, which and is the first confirmation of coaches being involved. Camp Kenosha, they would walk through the room as this stuff was going on and even be chanted at to join it. Yes. Uh, on top, and then adding all of this together, all of these various things together, uh, you can't tell me he didn't know, right? Um and so it's going to be something to follow. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to say about it is that um, something else that I think is going to get brought up, or at least someone besides me is finally going to think about this. They didn't fire anyone else on the staff. Like when, the, yeah. when, when they further the lawsuit and they say that the coaches were involved and some more of this stuff is going to come out, someone is going, someone that's not me is going to have to think, huh, they didn't fire any of the other coaches. All the other coaches are still there. There's no way that none of these coaches didn't know about it. The only coach that probably didn't, maybe, maybe didn't know about it is the coach that they, that came from one of the Montanas, who's now the uh, assistant, the, that's now the interim head coach. So Yeah, David Brown would probably be the only one who has, like, a legitimate, like, stake in not knowing. He just got there in 2021. Or, no, he just got there this year. So, it's like he was a brand-new defensive coordinator. Um, but, yeah, I saw, like, a bunch of NFL coaches were like, they want to step up and become, like, special assistants. And I'm like, that's great and all. But, like, it's tough. It's just a tough situation because there are definitely people on the roster who were involved in this stuff. And there are definitely coaches who saw it happen. And that makes it really hard for me to, like, think, hey, I'm, I think it was Butch Jones. I want to go and support, like, the players who were still there to get them through this. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But it's Butch Jones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. And I'm just, I'm going to continue to say this. So many people feel bad for the players. 
but I don't. Because the players that are still there, a lot of them are the ones that participated in it. Based on, and again, I can't prove this with all of them, but a decent amount of the people who are speaking out are players who transferred. And I, like in the last couple of years, Northwestern has had a mass exodus of exodus. transfers. So I remember looking at him like thinking, this is weird. Like, why are so many people leaving Northwestern? So obviously, there are two types of players on the roster. There are the victims and there are the perpetrators. And and I would imagine, based on who is speaking up and the fact that they transfer and things like that, the majority on the players, especially because Northwestern is always senior-laden, the majority of the players are the perpetrators. So I don't feel bad for them. I think every single one of them should lose their eligibility immediately. Like and it has, there has to be names in the report. There has to be, or yeah, or, and it's thing. not. As there's more litigation, it's going to get much worse for Northwestern. As yeah, there's more so. people pulling at it, because now it's a national story. So that means news organizations. That means investigators, litigation attorneys. Like they are going to be going through paperwork. They're going to be going through so many interviews with players. It's going to be absurd, and. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this all started because that two-week suspension with the report that they tried to hide in the middle of summer because they were too scared to hide a fire Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I think it's I think it's crazy. That's um, despicable. It's despicable. Um, and but but that continues on to to show right. That continues to show how this is a a larger northwestern issue, and it is not just a football issue. Yeah, because if it was just culture. a football issue, the coach would get fired, and, and that's would, why you know seeing Jim Phillips like I will viscerally defend myself against these constant uh what are they called uh these charges and it's like well dude like you were the guy in charge even if you like we've said this whole time if you didn't know that means you were doing your job incredibly poorly literally Um, like the absence of knowledge is not a defense it's malfeasance it's It's negligence And sure, maybe you would rather be considered negligent than to be considered um, an active participant. But negligence is, does not mean you do not get punished or penalized for it. Negligence is not a good like you can't commit a crime and say, oh, I didn't know it was a crime. Well, everyone has been pulled over. And how many of you or know someone or whatever said, oh, I didn't know the speed limit was 55. No cop ever said, oh, you didn't know. All right, well, I won't give you a ticket then for going 70 and a 55. You're still going to get the ticket. You can't go to court and be like, man, I I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to drink and drive. I just, I had no idea. I didn't even know I was drunk, honestly. Like, no, you're still going to get in trouble. Negligence is not an excuse, and it is not a way to escape uh, punishment. And I don't know that the ACC is going to do anything. I don't really know what they can do. I would do something, but I'm not in control of the ACC. But I think that they should because it's an image thing. And having him, as more comes out, having him as your leader is is very bad bad for your public image. And he can't go to... It's not like the AC is going to be worse off. They are stuck for 15 years anyway. So it's like, I yeah. just be proactive about it. he hasn't done it. anything to make it better. Like, I mean, I know that there's some, there's not a lot he can do, but he hasn't at done least. a single thing to put them in a better position. Yeah. Like, you got to even consider administrative leave at right. least. And just until, until, until you some do of this own. is resolved. Right. Until, until you do he your gets own deposed. research. 
and you talk to some of these people and you ask them, did he know? Like, what do you think? How did you go to him? How was this handled? Because again, the yeah, cheer, like oh, you know for a fact he knew about the cheerleading thing because that happened yeah. while he was there and his athletic director handled it poorly. Like he he cannot deny that he didn't know about some of the things that should have crossed his desk. He can maybe deny, oh, I didn't know this was happening in football because it seems like people weren't speaking up about it. But even yeah, still, and it was not on campus, unlike the like, cheerleading where it's like, no, nah, it was on campus too. Camp Kenosha was just one of the places because yeah. the, the the first dude that spoke out, I'm pretty sure, was a freshman, and he he issued his report. Uh, after Thanksgiving, and I said, like, I don't like to make you conjecture and things like that, but it's fair to assume that they did their runs giving and all the other kind of stuff that they mentioned that they like to do around Thanksgiving, and he was like, nah, not doing it. This was also happening in season. It's just Camp Kenosha during camp when you're, you know, isolated is probably one of the other major times that they did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It is an incredibly challenging story. That's why we have to keep talking about it because it's not news you can make go away. It's not news you should let go away. This is a real story that affects every school and every person in the Big Ten because this should not be an environment that's accepted in it. Yeah, and um, we were, we do not have to go on this because we have a lot of other things to talk about because as we talked about already, it's football season, so we actually have some real football to talk about. Yes. But and I said in I, our... Yeah, you go for it. I said in our group chat that if I was the Big Ten, I'd kick Northwestern out. Anyone with any sort yeah. of common sense wants Northwestern out gone for by for a, a football on field perspective, but no one is ever going except for maybe like fifteen years when it just gets dire. No one is getting kicked out of a conference due to football reasons, especially yeah, or Vanderbilt would be in the SEC, mem- right? A founding member or someone that's been there for a very long time, but you already want them out. This yeah. would be enough, in my opinion, because it it is it affects every single sport and it affects every single member in administration and there's just no way to fix that there's no way to fix it without shutting it down and yeah. Northwestern's not going to shut itself down so out of the Big Ten you know I would I don't think it's possible and Northwestern would probably find some way to sue and all these other kind of things yeah. I would do it I'd kick him out because this also looks bad on the conference to have an entire and I think it was you you mentioned well they didn't kick out Penn State and they didn't kick out Michigan but you whether you should or not you can quantify those as single team or single person problem yes yeah, one I, person I, did it was a single person but it's like Bo Schembechler was incredibly involved in that doctor that doctor's overarching thing by not reporting it so it's like kind of the same thing with the hazing if it was just like the football program's hazing and like he didn't report it then yeah but like just like Ohio State has Jim Jordan he's a representative in the house like he was a coach on the wrestling team when that doctor was there it's it's just a super complex issue that it just would be way too messy yeah, and I mean, like you said, there are other things that you probably can't do it, but uh, none of those things. It's like, how, have like been if you're this pervasive, how like, can you have four coaches? Like you know, like there, like there's always been coaches at the level who overuse their power and all that stuff. But how do you have four coaches at minimum? Like this is all we know for sure. Four coaches whose programs are so 
in like consolable in so many ways like all different ways too like that's the and worst that, part and that's why i view it differently because again whether you should or shouldn't you can view those as single person problems and you can name who to fire right you could have fired boshin blackler if it was handled right you could fire larry nassier you could fire joe paternal like right and then it's like this program has this punishment this coach got fired we're going to fix it from then on out you can't you would have you would literally have to fire almost every coach and almost every single administrator because as we mentioned with the lawsuits it's going they're going back against old presidents the president is involved in this scandal for handling it wrong they're going against old athletic directors like it's not you can't fire two people and say the problem's fixed which you could with some of the other scandals this is literally the entire athletic department every single sports males women uh, administrators and so that again this is just it's never going to happen they're not going to kick him out right like that's like we're talking about something that is just not realistic but i think that this is viable and even if you don't kick them out they you could suspend them yeah i feel like conferences should be able to suspend teams from play for x whatever but i think that yeah, someone honestly, larger than northwestern needs to weigh in and since i don't trust the ncaa because the ncaa probably should suspend them someone should cause them not to play for at least a couple of years and put some real sanctions on this entire department until this is fixed yeah uh tony Petiti, welcome to the big Ten commissioner role Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's crazy. Um, it's definitely far from over. Far from over. Um, so yeah, let's let's transition here. Um, not to get away from that, but it's time to get to some football stuff. I mean, I know that's football, but let's get to some Ohio State football stuff here. Um, and let's just start with the fun one here. Let's just start with the fun one, switch the mood up. Um, Ohio State's opening up practice to fans. Um, it's $30 a ticket, and they're only selling 500 tickets, and the only ones that have had the sales available are the first two practices. And I, I think it's always uh, it's always fun when, you know, NFL teams open up training camp, let fans kind of come in, explore, see what they're doing. I remember living in California. I'm not even a Cowboys fan, but my aunt would take me up to Oxnard, California and watch them. So I think this is like an incredible open door to the program. And, you know, like there's winning football games to curry favor, but there's stuff like this. And $30 a ticket, 500 tickets, they sold out in like, I want to say it was like two and a half minutes. It was insane. Um, but this is an awesome opportunity for fans. It, it, it used to be a padlock. It used to be a submersible vessel that was actually well closed. Um, this is um, a pretty insane opportunity for fans. Yeah, I agree. And it's not super surprising. I did not listen to the podcast, but it's not super surprising when you listen to when you hear, see, listen, read, whatever the comment that Ryan Day was making on the Big Noon podcast or whatever the hell it's, it's called. Yeah, Big Noon Talks or something with Joel Klatt, where he was talking about looking at the NFL as a model and not making college football the NFL, but not trying to be so different from the NFL. 
NFL and looking at some of the way that they've problem solved and that they've done some things and bringing that to college a little bit and letting fans come to training camp, having open practices or whatever. That is that. So I think it's good. I'm not going to go, but uh, I think it's good. I mean, maybe I will go, honestly. No, I'm not going to go. But I I think it's a good thing. I think that's cool. Um, It's just anything, especially when you have a a rabid fan base like Ohio State, anything to um, give fans more access to the program and access to the players and to feel a part of it, I mean, yeah. You You can't lose. Now you don't have to be a super rich booster or a former player to get in there. So that's pretty cool, too. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of people were like, why is it only the first two practices? And it's like the other side of fanaticism is you have to make sure it runs smoothly before you keep doing it. Yeah. And I mean, you can't imagine every practice. Also, it's not yeah. hard to do to say, oh, the first two went well. We liked it. Here's a random practice where we feel comfortable letting people come do it. a week yeah. before like, you do it. But also there's a QB competition, the offensive line, like the first two, pra- like this is not to discourage people not to go, but the first two practices of camp are the least practice of practice. Yeah. They're it's not going to let you in there when they're doing walkthroughs. It's yeah, going to be not letting you in there when drills. they're doing their game script and, and all of that kind of stuff stuff yeah there will be like moving forward after the first two practices they'll probably get down to serious business and then if fans are lucky because i remember at the coaches clinic the practice we saw was not very in depth it was mostly individual drills it was mostly like some seven on seven they did a few inside run team periods without like contact so like really don't gain much besides run fits and like block fits um so it's like you're, you're not going to – it's going to be super exciting because anytime you get to be in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, anytime you get to be in Ohio Stadium, it's incredible. You get to see your favorite football team. But just be ready for a lot more. Not It's not, it's not going to be all contact. You're not going to see people, like, banging heads against each other. Like, it's going to be pretty – pretty light I, I i'd be shocked if they were in, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were in shells or even the, like spider shells with the little foam pads yeah for sure but i mean either way it's still a great experience i mean there's yeah. not a bad if time to go to Marvin harrison climb the ladder in person i'd go to practice it's yeah. worth 30 dollars easily Watching a Mecca Buka snag a one-handed like 45-yard bomb from Kyle McCord and Easy Officers worth the price of admission to the coaches' clinic. I mean, honestly, just looking at one-on-ones, watching the you know like we love watching O-line, D-line one-on-ones, and watching uh, wide receiver, cornerback one-on-ones would make it all worth it. Thirty dollars yeah. to see that, like, yeah. I mean, it's like you were around Kent State. I played in junior college with quite a few Division One linemen, not at Ohio State's level. But, like, I don't think – like, when I was at the coach's clinic, I honestly forgot the level and the athleticism of some of these bigger guys. And seeing that again in person, it truly gives you a different perspective on what you're seeing on Saturdays. And I, I'd recommend if there's an opportunity and, like, those tickets aren't sold out, take your shot. It's, it's really an eye-opening experience just to see – how crazy these 18 to 22 year old people are. Yeah. Um, if you haven't been, if you can't afford to make it to an actual game, 
Um, if you just want to, you know, bring your kids or family who you don't think you want to involve around a uh, hundred and six thousand people. I mean, or you just you've been to a game every year and you just want another reason to go to the shoe. I mean, I would absolutely yeah. go. Um, like I said, I'm probably not going to go, but if they do it again, I would love to go. Um, but I definitely think that it, this is something that is worth attending. And I am happy as a fan that they're doing it. I think that's just another one of those minor things that makes being an Ohio State fan so fun. Uh, because from my understanding, we are the first program to do this. And I think we'll see it more. I could be wrong. I, 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 there's no way for me to know if that's true. But I've never heard about this from anyone else, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is awesome. This is one of those cool things that you just don't really get to see too often. Um, that's why I like the spring game, too. It's much more relaxed. You get to see everything. There's not that same intensity. You're not stressed when you leave or go. So it's like it's really all the same fun stuff without being ultra invested into the game. Um. Next on the news list, Marvin Harrison Jr. has partnered with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, not to make any Hall of Fame puns about Marvin Harrison Jr., but to me, that's a Hall of Fame partnership. Um, and the group that The Rock got for his new drink, I don't know if it's ZOA or just ZOA. I'm, I'm going to assume it's ZOA. But um, he called the program The Rock's Warriors. I mean, that's super corny. Dwayne The Rock Johnson stuff, but look at like listen how loaded this group of athletes is. You got LSU basketball star Angel Reese, you got receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., North Carolina quarterback Drake May, Georgia tight end Brock Bowers, Miami safety Cam Kitchens, who's good, but we know why he's there. The Rock went to Miami. Uh, Florida AM infielder Amaya Gaynor, um, and Austin PA State guard Hansel, Hansel Emmanuel. Um, Loaded list of athletes, loaded list of names. Um, the Rock getting into the NIL game. I think it would be interesting to see what other celebrities get involved with this. Um, I know the WWE's gotten super involved in college athletics through NIL. So it's just kind of interesting to see. Like, we talk about the foundations all the time. So it's fun to see a story like this where it's not a car dealership. It's not a local foundation. It's not, like, a local business. It's just, like... A celebrity getting players and i think that's kind of fun for these guys and girls yeah and i think that uh any connection to the rock i mean like you know whether you like him or hate him i personally don't know how you can dislike the rock uh i don't think that he's done anything wrong and he brought the xfl back uh he's very gimmicky but like he was the a wrestler. Thing people like, hate, he's a cornball. Like yeah. he's he's the rock. Like that's who he is though. Yeah, like you know, whatever. So um I think that is really cool. And the rock has boatloads of money. He has a million connections. And who knows how far this could take it, right? The the rock is in movies. What if next thing you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is in a movie, right? Or or any so awesome. you know, the rock is due for another rock Kevin Hart movie where Kevin Hart calls him bald and he calls Kevin Hart short. Like, next thing you know, Marvin Harrison's going to be in there, right? You know, so uh, Jumanji 3 or whatever the hell movie they do together. Um, So, I mean, I I just think uh, anything where players are making money legally, I'm fine with. 
but cool things like this, like the um, did you ever watch the Rock's game show, like his version of uh, American Ninja Warrior? I did not. No, I can't oh, remember the like, name of it. It was the Beastmaster or whatever. Excellent. I don't think that's the name of it, but it was excellent. It was very good, um, and it was. Oh, I know which one you're talking about now. It was it very. They like had like that big thing there to climb up. Yeah, like that was the end of the show kind of thing, and I think they get. Yeah. I think they did a, a really good job with bringing people back and finally, like it. It was good. It was really good. I really enjoyed it, uh, and I think the best thing about it is like random people would win. Like I remember Tyron Woodley, who was a UFC champion, got smoked. He got smoked, and I don't. I I feel like it was by this like chubby farmer dude in like overalls. I may be mixing it up. I know this guy existed. I can't remember which pro athlete he beat, but Tyron Woodley got smoked. And it's just like, you always think that these professional athletes are going to be the best of the best and, you know, all of these better than everyone. And it's like, nah, some people are faster, stronger. They have more endurance or they can do certain things. Um, Yeah, it was really good. So, I mean... had, like I doubt that they would do it in the middle of their career, but having one of these people guest star as the champion, as the professional athlete on that show, like it just opens up so many doors. And if nothing else, you know, you get to hang out with The Rock and be around yeah. millionaires. Yeah, it's definitely one of those cool things. Like NIL has been kind of this very divisive topic, but this is like the stuff that makes it so not divisive. Like this was actually what it was meant to be, um, and. Uh, like we said, we're very pro pay the players any way possible, but this one, this is fun. Um, what do we got next? Um, Kingston. Mr. Kingston Biyama Asa is committing this weekend. 23rd. Um, I, I don't know if I want to make a prediction on this because I don't see any crystal balls and the recruiting prediction machine has them to Notre Dame, but that's cowardly and I'm putting the recruiting hat on. He's going to be an Ohio State Buckeye. Uh, we did the read-through last time. Um, you know, maybe Notre Dame made a late push. Maybe um, the blue and gold to the blue and gold connection is enough for him. You know, very similar uh, schools, you know, with the religious affiliation with St. John Bosco and Notre Dame. Uh, maybe that adds a comfort level in moving to the Midwest to him, just having that. But there's just something, you know, about how long Ohio State's been recruiting him, how long this team is, his relationship that he's talked about with James Laurinaitis. You know, I, I just can't see James Laurinaitis losing to Marcus Freeman, or not Marcus Freeman, even Marcus Freeman, his backup. Um, I can't see him losing to Marcus Freeman. I can't see him losing to Al Washington. I can't see him losing to those two guys, period. Anything can happen, right? We've seen some players go places that we didn't imagine. But, I mean, Ohio State's been on a good run with linebackers. Um, They've been on a good run with linebackers. Like you said, you have James Laurinaitis. There is – if you are a competitor – if you are a competitor, there is room to believe that you can come in and play immediately because who are you not to believe that you're better than CJ Hicks? I mean, there's no proof to say that you are, but they're going to lose their three top linebackers. They're losing Gabe, uh, not Gabe, I'm sorry. They're losing uh, Steele. 
they're losing Tommy and they're losing the other guy's name who I can't remember right now, which is crazy. So it's like you come in, it's going to be a room full of young guys. You're going to get your chance to play. You're going to get your chance to complete, you compete. You get to play, be coached by a nine year vet and a defensive coordinator who coached linebackers his entire career. And it's Ohio State. Anything can happen, yeah. but I'm going Ohio State as well. Um, yeah, so that's all we got there. That's all we're talking about with recruiting this week. We need a break. Um, next on the list, we've got the Madden rankings or ratings. They're out. Um, Nick Bosa, one of the top edge rushers. Um, I haven't really looked into this. I've got the Madden website pulled up. Um, so we could look through some of them. Um, I honestly can't even remember every Ohio State player in the NFL. But the highest ranked Buckeye in the NFL is Nick Bosa at 98 overall. The next highest, I believe, I'm missing it. I'm missing them. I feel like it was Denzel Ward, but I could. Oh, it's Cameron Hayward. That's who it was. So Cameron Hayward still holding things down. 93 overall. That's pretty good. Uh, if I do say so myself for a guy who's been in the league as long to be at that level. And then Terry McLaurin, 92, highest rated Ohio State receiver. So um, I, I'm going to pull up Chris Olave. How do you feel about those first three I read off? I have no opinion. I don't care about Madden rankings. I do think it's crazy that Nick Bosa is not in the 99 club. I haven't seen the 99 club, and I know they like to um, I, yeah. limit it. I don't know it, how but Madden Nick Bosa should be in the 99 work. club. But does the injury affect the overall rating? Like, because that might be his his like his heel on that. I mean, it's just fake. I I fully believe that <laughs> the math not. doesn't always work. Like, him they don't and, just he, like like Miles Garrett's not better than him. I'd say they're the same level at least. Yeah. Um, I, I truly don't believe that they go in and they say, all right, this is a 98, this is a 99, this is a 70, this is a 64. What's the average? Oh, this player is a 78. No, the 99 club, they go in knowing who they want to make a 99, and then they just make it happen. And they know that they're not going to put a rookie above a certain thing, so they just make it happen. So they could have put him in the 99 club. They didn't. But again, like I buy Madden every single year. I've never once cared about Madden rankings because if you you just go to the game, yeah. Or I mean, I don't change them. You just play like three games, and they're an X factor if you know what you're doing. But uh, the one thing I will say. the only thing that I care about in rankings is the 99 club, and it's not because I care about the 99 club. I just like to see how they reveal it every year because it's always cool. Like the chains, the cleats, the jackets, yeah. like they just it's always so do something regular. really cool. I think that's fun. Uh, other than that, yeah, I'm still going to buy it. Yeah, um, this was funny. I, I'm not going to look into every player, but I just re- I thought I saw this, and I just wanted to make sure. Garrett Wilson, 84. Chris Olave, 84 overall. These two guys just can't leave each other alone. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not bad, man. They don't typically do uh, second-year players that well. They still be having them in, like, like uh, Jalen. I think I saw Jalen Petrie for the um, – Texans, he had like a hundred and something tackles and a really, really, really great year. And I saw someone tweet that he was still like a 70 or something like that. That's um, so dope. Yeah, so I mean, that's pretty cool. Hey, shout out to the Buckeyes. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Outside of that, nothing crazy else that really happened, right? Like, I don't have any other stories, at least from Ohio State. It feels like it's just that everyone's just itching to get to that fall camp. They keep teasing the gray jerseys. You know, the all, we, all, we all know they're all gray. We all know what you're doing. Just show us the jerseys. Uh, yeah. At this point, you got to show it. I personally would not like to see it, but I also would not like to see all the things that they've done because now I want to see the jerseys. Like everything that they've done about the jerseys, like they could have done the thing, right? They could have done the thing and just be like, hey, you know, cool, we're doing gray, and then dropped it. And then the week of or the week before, that's when you start doing the videos with the gloves and you start doing the cool little things. And then on, like, yeah. Friday or something, you release the whole thing. When is that game? That game is, like, it's do you the, remember the date? I think it was in October. I'll pull it up real quick. Yeah, it's, it's it has been, that's, that's, too that's, that's too far. That's too far to be teasing. You about it. I, I yeah. want to see that for the first time at kickoff. Like, don't even let them wear it for warm-ups. And then they walk out, they run out the tunnel, and then boom. Like, that would be cool to me. It's way too far for y'all to be doing all this teasing because they've never done that before, right? Like, when they pull out the black uniforms, no. they just, yeah, like, so, they might do one or two, but they just, like, pop out black uniforms. And we're like, oh, yeah, those are fire. Like, just a picture. Hold on. I'm finding the video one because it had the date. Uh 9-2, that's the day the season starts. Um, got one ticket to Oppenheimer. That's funny. Um, checkmate. Um, they don't even have the date. Um, I'm looking for it. Oh, here it is. I got it. I found the one. They started this on July 13th, so a week ago. It's all the way November 11th. November 11th is when these jerseys are going to be worn on the field. That's We're not months. that bored, Ohio State. We're not that bored. Stop teasing stuff four months out. All right. <laughs> like, they're gonna forget. They're gonna forget about it, and then we're all gonna be yeah. like, "Oh man, oh we're wearing the gray jerseys. I forgot." And then everyone's gonna yell. All the old people will finally get mad about it. Like, why don't they just wear their red and white jerseys? And it's like, just let us have fun. Um, they haven't done that yet. They've done all red. They've done all white. They've done a different type of gray with that, like um, like charcoal, the wolves jerseys, um, and then they did the all white stormtrooper ones that were pretty sweet. But they haven't they haven't done an all like Ohio State color gray jersey. Yeah, uh, I'm just really. But yeah. I'm really trying to like picture it. I hope they don't ruin it. Um, while we're on here, though, do you remember the kid who took the fi- the photos and he had the red pants with the white jersey? I do not remember. Oh man, I want to see if I can find it. It was just a recruiting picture, and he had red pants and the white jersey, and it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. If they would yeah. just give us that once, I would. I would never need to see an alternate jersey for five years. Yeah, I have no doubt it would be sick to see. But I also that's like a psychopath move to be recruiting going on and like doing that. Oh man, I can't believe you don't remember it. Like. It had Twitter going crazy. Had to be recent. Had to be it recent. Was. It was. It was. It was during the June visit period. I was probably moving. Oh uh, yeah, true, 
True, true, true. But no, Ohio State, hey, stop it. Okay? Yeah, stop We're teaching. excited. We're very excited. But also, stop. <laughs> like, yeah. it's too far. Tell us who the quarterback is. How about that? Yeah. Tease that. Give us, just, just drop some more hype tapes. Kyle, throw it. Just throw it. Man, I know throw. I know. Oh, my God. Did you see the, uh, uh, the things that I want to see? Did you see the Chase Young hype tape? I did not. Oh my God. Watching he came back. He, he came back. He came back. Uh, so we're going to talk about Taiwan Malone. You saw his, right? I, oh, yeah. That so was it awesome. was basically Chase Young's version of that, but he was back at Ohio State with Larry. Man. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Drop those. Just, just like, drop those of all the players. Let me see a Kyle McCord dropping bombs to somebody. Let me see, you know, um, let me see the running backs hitting holes. Just all of them. They don't even need their own one. Just give me, like, a minute-long tape of the running backs just destroying people's ankles in practice. That's what we want to see. Yeah, right hitting bags, I don't want to see to destroy people. Just hit the like you know when running backs run through the arm thing. Just give yeah. us a three video attack. But yeah, uh, I think for the organization's sake, we're gonna do the first set of ads here. Then we'll do the second one before the pack full preview. So we'll see you guys after that. We'll go back to you. We'll finish this off on the other side. Don't you worry. Right, welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie. We're continuing this episode of the Bug Off Podcast. Make sure you're following on Twitter, at Bug Off Pod, and make sure you're subscribing to the feed and telling your friends to subscribe to the feed and rate the podcast because that's important now. The Apple's changed their algorithm, um, but rate it good. Um, so, yeah, red and white, that's pretty sick. That's a good move. Um, and not a lot of teams ever go with the red pant white top the only Rutgers in Wisconsin so we need a real football program to do it it's it's um, it is way beyond time that we had a real football team do it I can't find the recruits pictures I was I'm literally looking for it and I can't find it just know it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen uh and the Twitter search and uh Google search is awful so um I can't believe I I mean I could have swore someone wrote something about it but either way Ohio State stop teasing us it's too early drop hype tapes that's what we're here for camp is around the corner give us the give us those professional ones where the player gets to pick the favorite song and they do their little favorite quote like I'm back last year was a whatever whatever Ever. like those some those some uh yeah, honestly uh, at this point stuff yeah honestly at this point i'll even accept uh running back the uh um the uh metro booming where he's using um not invincible but the adult one where uh nightlander whatever his name is homelander his speech about yeah. how people need him and without them like throw that back with the metro Bo- like just give us that real stuff all right give us real stuff um, yeah, let's get let's get moving here. Um, newcomers, uh, we know. Them. So fall camp's two weeks out, and if you're like me, um, the summer is kind of a brain rot when it comes to information sometimes. So I I thought with Jordan it would be a good idea for us to go through the list of newcomers, then just kind of talk about the guys who excited us in spring practice, some of the summer enrollees we're really excited about to see for the first time. Um, so, yeah, let's get to it. We'll start with the transfers. Um, we've got Joshua Simmons, San Diego State. Um, he was a summer tra- – I guess not summer transfer, but he was an end-of-spring transfer. 
that's pretty important because I don't know an Ohio State fan who was confident with the offensive line coming out of spring. So he's the first guy on the list that I had. Uh, we got Tywon Malone, defensive tackle, definitely in position at depth. Didn't win his recruitment out of high school, didn't even make his top five. But that's the reason you don't burn bridges. You never know when someone's going to come back. Lorenzo Styles, dad played at Ohio State, brother plays at Ohio State, his brother's name is Sonny. Um, good athlete. I'm intrigued by him transitioning to corner, corner, a position we need to depth at. He has, like, there's been some people, like, thinking maybe he plays some nickel. Um, we'll see. I think he's got the size and the listen to do it. Dave Sinigby Nosen, no hints here. He's probably my favorite transfer we got. Victor Cutler, spring transfer. Tristan Jebbia, depth. Jihad Carter, spring transfer. And then the great John Furlman. All right, we've read the list off. Jordan, any names specifically you want to talk about? And, you know, just kind of looking at where they all went to school. It's kind of fun to see how these guys all got here. Yeah, um, I, I mean, like, I'm not going to say Davis and Nelson because we talked about him forever. I'm not going to say Jahai Carter because we talked about him forever. Oh, spring I'm just going to say Taiwan Malone. That is the easiest answer. And after his hype tape, man. And also, I think he's going to be here at least two years, which is great because we're going to be losing some people. But, you know, we've gone back and forth on the defensive line and different things like that. And we know that the edge needs to pick it up and stuff like that. But we know for a fact, proven fact, we have dogs at defensive tackle. And if he is your third best defensive tackle, or your fourth best defensive tackle because it could very easily go Mike Hall, um, uh, uh, Tyleek Williams, and what is the other guy's name? The one that's going to be a starter. Um, I'm, I'm not. Uh, in, I'm not in uh, midseason form. That's an NFL player. Um, yeah, I'm not in, in midseason form. Yeah, Ty, Ty Hamilton. So you have those three, right? Maybe he. Maybe he takes over Tyleek. But if he doesn't. If he's your fourth or if Tyleek is your fourth, that is easily one of, if not the best defensive tackle rotation in the country. If Tyleek Williams is your fourth best defensive tackle and he can sack anybody at any point when he wants to coming up the middle. Yeah. Man. So it's, it's got responsibility. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited for. Um, yeah, no, honestly, I don't think anyone in Ohio State's fan base cannot be excited about Tywell Malone after his own hype tape he posted. Um, a big guy wearing those sunglasses is always a big football move. Um, he's an athlete, man. And it's, for those who don't know, he played baseball for two years at Ole Miss in the spring. So this is going to be his first full year focusing just on football. So I, this is like a two-year plan thing, but he's going to be great next year. He's going to be even better once he gets a full spring focusing on football. 100%. 100%. I'm – Mildly intrigued by Lorenzo Styles uh, because um, we've had oddly had success with offensive guys switching over to defense. Like even if they're not all steel level success, because steel is a hit. Steel is a hit. He's going to be drafted in the NFL, uh, and I think he's going to be relatively one of the first linebackers taken, which means he's probably gonna be like a fourth round pick because they don't like to take linebackers, but. That's a hit. But, like, I mean, 
you were starting to see it more. I hate using the team up north, but you have Mike Saren still. Uh, there's if you can get it down, there's a benefit of wide receivers playing DB because of they know the movement, they know route concepts, they have a better idea of the field and, and quarterback and how quarterbacks like to play off corners and stuff like that. Not saying he's going to be anything. You never know because the transition is hard, but that is definitely one that I'm a little bit intrigued about. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely intrigued with Joshua Simmons. I don't know if coming at the end of spring is enough time to get him in here, but in kind of the same way as Tywell Malone, he's a young guy or younger guy who's going to be in the program for multiple years. So I think that is a humongous advantage for him. Um, he'd come in with confidence. He'd come in and try to earn playing time. But this isn't the end of his his like career. This isn't like a fourth or fifth year guy coming in, trying to compete, trying to win a job. This is a guy who could legitimately, you know, transform the prospects of Ohio State's future line. And he was a highly touted recruit. He went to San Diego State. Um, I, I just think this is the type of this is the type of transfer that a program like Ohio State should target. A highly recruited guy who kind of went to a smaller school, didn't really necessarily fit there. You know, there was a lot of problems with that San Diego State program with a culture aspect with like Brady Hoke and stuff. And we all saw that tough story in the news, but this is this is one of those things where, and same with Davison as well, freshman transferring kind of up to a perceived higher level or I guess higher opportunity to win a national title. Those are two humongous transfers, like just because they are freshmen and if they do choose to transfer again, they either need to graduate school to have immediate eligibility or they have to sit out again. Yeah, and um, their transfers that Ohio State hasn't been getting, right? You know, Tristan Jevier, we get those kind of guys all the time. Yeah. We get that, like, senior guy who maybe has a year. Um, we've done that at multiple different positions. But getting some young guys who you can build some recognition, who are going to have two or three seasons and, and different things like that is very exciting. But also they're at positions of need, which is important because we were not getting players at position of need. So, yeah, um, very excited uh, about a couple of them. Man. Vic, I, I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to dis, disparage anyone, but man, Victor Cutler, that that transition was not as as not as smooth as what we yeah. thought. And so. I feel like he kind of transferred in with like a lot of unfair pressure, given that he was like he was a pretty like highly touted recruit, like or a transfer recruit. But he was also coming from UL Monroe, and he was also coming into a program that has immense pressure to get the offensive line right. So it was never really going to be fair expectations on the guy. Yeah, but, I mean, people were saying he was going to come in and be an instant starter right and all this other kind of stuff. And, and that's just, really like, disrespectful to the people on the roster. Um, Tristan Jebby and John Carter, I think we talked about them plenty in the spring, what they're doing here. I think this one's important. John Furlman, um, the long snapper, I no one cares about the long snapper until something horrible happens. John Furlman's one of the best long snappers, and, you know, Noah Ruggles missed the kick, but the snap was slow, the hold was bad, and the kick was worse. So, really, if you have all three of the, the snap, hold, kick messed up, Something needs to be fixed. Ohio State's going to have a new kicker this year. Parker Lewis has a huge leg. I don't think distance will be a worry when they come up for a game-winning kick if that is a situation. 
now it's all about getting it right with the snap and hold. And I feel a lot better about getting the hold right if the snap's always good. And that's yeah. what John Furman does. Absolutely. Love to see it. Love it. All right. Now for the summer enrollees um, and the freshmen coming in, this is actually a pretty stacked group of players. I feel like the class got it got split directly in half. Um, you've got Brandon Innes, Jason Moore, Calvin Simpson Hunt, Arvell Reese, Lincoln Keenels, Jaden Bonsu, Joshua Mickens, Caden McDonald, and Cedric Hawkins. Uh, I'm going to start with Lincoln Keenels. Not like an exciting level thing, but I do fully respect the fact that he's like, I have to play basketball, I have to play baseball. Committed to his team, stuck with it, was awesome for him. Uh, and I got to see a windmill dunk from the kids. So that's awesome. We can go to the rest of the guys now. Who do you want to start with here? Who's the guy in this group of early and really freshmen that gets you the most excited? And why is it Brandon Innes? I mean, is that even fair? (laughs) Why is it Brandon Ennis? Because he's going to be a man. He's not. It's hard to say he's going to be a starter uh, because Carnell Tate's going to be the starter, largely because, man, I don't know. Uh, First of all, um, condolences out to Carnell Tate and his family uh, for the tragedy that happened um, with his mom. And who knows? Like, I wouldn't be mad if he doesn't play. I think he probably will because in that situation, a lot of players um, playing helps the escape. Right. Yeah. So, like, I could definitely see him playing. I would not be shocked or upset if he didn't. Um, I think it could go either way because, right, here's the thing. Brandon Ennis could be so good that they move Emeka back outside because we know he can play outside. Carnell could be so good that Emeka takes the JSN role and just stays inside the entire year. Whichever one of those is going to determine how much Brandon Ennis plays, because if Emeka, if Carnell Tate becomes a starter early and Emeka's in the slot, Brandon Ennis isn't going to play as much because they're not moving Emeka anywhere. Because Ryan Day refuses to give us four wide receivers where we could have two slot wide receivers. We'll talk about that another day. Either way, Brandon Ennis is going to be special. He's going to absolutely have a role, and he's going to be the best or the second best receiver on the team next year hands down easy yeah i could see him and it's going to be hard but i could see him having a hundred yard recept receiving and like one of his first first or second game and you want to know why because the qb competition is still a thing so they're going to let at least for the first couple of games i genuinely believe they're, they're going to let, let the second Absolutely. quarterback throw and brandon ennis is going to be in there with the second team and i could see him taking like a deep post 70 yards getting a couple one two things and having like a hundred yards in his first or second game so the easy one is him also i genuinely think of the list he's going to be the only one that contributes uh jason moore not going to contribute he plays dt i think is where they're going to put him calvin simpson hunt i think he'd be second on my list as someone that can but we have four solid there's so many guys now it's funny how fast that happened where from zero to nine we have nobody to yeah there's like six or seven guys who are probably in front of him right now yeah i mean uh i don't know if it's going to be six or seven but it's at least four and they're not going to play more than four consistently arvo reese he has six or seven guys in front of him he has no shot lincoln no shot who would have had a good year in the spring yeah shot same with cedric hawkins um both those guys have potential katie mcdonald Honestly, might be the only guy I can see. But on the defensive end, 
Yeah, he's he's uh, because we he we are get to down number deep five at yeah. defensive tackle, so I can see him getting some real snaps. Um, and he's but, the one, which is probably where we're the the least deep because some of the people playing the one are really three techs that play the one. Yeah. So like, I could see him getting in the rotation a little bit, maybe earning some snaps in the middle and then disappearing how they like to do freshmen at the end. But mm-hmm. I, I don't really see too many, True. which is a good thing. I don't really see too many of the freshmen really yeah, getting you know a lot of playing time. You really don't want guys coming in in the summer and earning playing time because that just means whoever was in the spring was not good enough. Um, and that's a bad sign. Um, two guys, I'm really, I, I think Argel Reese and Jaden Bonsu. Honestly, I'll throw Joshua Mickens in there. Special teams. I think those guys are going to be significant contributors on kickoff coverage. And one of them is going to come up with one of those plays like Caden Curry did where someone just got absolutely obliterated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I think it's going to be Bonsu. I just have a feeling he's going to be one of those special teams. Like, Court Williams was kind of that way when he came in, like just playing all the special teams and making plays on it. Jaden Bonsu's going to kind of be – I'm not projecting any career trajectory, just that kind of impact. I'm not against it. I'm not against it. I think that – I definitely think we'll see enough of some of them to get excited for the future. I just think it'll be hard for any of them outside of Ennis and long shot Caden McDonald to have any sort of real, real – I think Brandon Ennis is the only one that's going to – which is crazy because there's two freshmen who could have impact, and, it, and they're going to do it in our deepest position. Because they've already forced some people to transfer. Like, the position you expect a freshman never to play is wide receiver because there's so many people, and these two are so good that they're going to force their way on the field. That's yeah, nuts. That's why. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of freshmen, um, I know we were talking about hype tapes. Did you see Bryson Rogers' hype post? I did not. He has easily put on 25 pounds, and he needed all 25 pounds. But uh, A good 25? Yeah. No, you know, it, it was – it was he. He put on a good twenty-five for okay. a football player. Absolutely, uh, you should pull that up because it was. I, I was kind of shocked because you remember how wiry and skinny he was at high school. Um, he's not there anymore. Yeah, he's still skinny, but he is not wiry anymore. Hey, we love to see that. Um, I feel like I, I'll give credit where it's due. Marathi knows how to get the receiver swelled up. The rest of the team, he fattens up. The receivers, <laughs> they, they, they swell up. Um, but, yeah, honestly, the early enrollees, this is a pretty exciting list of players. And, honestly, you know, in the spring, I didn't kind of realize how good the defense recruiting class was last year, just off names. But seeing how many of them were summer enrollees, that's why, like, most of them got here in the summer. So, um, there, there's some big names in that class, and that's exciting. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we will um, take another quick break here just to keep the show organized, um, and we will see you guys on the flip side of this group pack Welcome back in, everybody. This is Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. 
when I planned out the double break, I really did think the transfer conversation was going to go a little longer. I thought the first year conversation was going to go a little longer, but we ran through that pretty smoothly. Um, so we're back. We're still doing the two breaks because just it's going to flow better, trust me. And we're in our Pac-12 preview. Uh, this is probably going to be the show structure moving forward until the season starts. Um, so just be prepared for that. And the Pac-12, let's start with the big story. They don't have a TV deal. Um, they're coming off a decade or so with Larry Scott in charge who, you know, came from tennis. So that's a very interesting hire, you know, in a way. And he ended up coming in and started the Pac-12 network with Comcast, did some things like he did a good job kind of getting the contract with ESPN and Fox Sports to create the Pac-12 network. But the Pac-12 network was horrendous. It was poorly executed. It was one of the worst things. Um, The only thing I think to his credit he did well was make it the Pac-12 and get Colorado and Utah in there. Um, but, like, it was a horrible job done. So, George Kliakov was not in, in, like, he was not getting a good thing to take over. There was not a lot of positives going on with the Pac-12 when Kliakov took in. But the Pac-12 presidents made another interesting decision going outside of, of college athletics, which, you know, no hate on that. Like, there is room for that in the business. The Big Ten did it back-to-back times. But... Now, Kliakov comes in way over his head. He's a gambling guy. He works with Mandalay. Um, it's not going great. They lose USC. They use UCLA. They don't have a TV contract. They're potentially losing the Arizona schools in the future. What's the state of the Pac-12 to you? I Just running through that in my own head, it's not in a good place. No, it's absolutely not. And somehow, it's almost like he's making it worse. Which I didn't think was possible. And ultimately, he probably won't entirely make it worse. But if they, man, the the whole, so like, it's, and, and it's, it's going on so weird that it's affecting other conferences, right? Like uh, San Diego State. Was it San Diego State? San Diego State. Yeah, it was. They, yeah, San Diego State wanted to leave break up. the Mountain West, but they couldn't leave the Mountain West because the deal wasn't done. And now they lost all their leverage. And so they just had to sign a contract to stay with the Mountain West until the end of the 2023 season. And they had to pay the Mountain West legal fees. So they, it's just like, it's not only just affecting the Pac 12, it's affecting other people, it's affecting other conferences, other teams, teams that want to join the Pac-12, teams that potentially want to leave the Pac-12. Um, it's not great right now. The be- And we're going to get into this. The best thing, the thing that is saving him is the fact that the Pac-12 is going to be fun on the football field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with the Pac-12, the most interesting thing to me is they lost USC and UCLA, and they haven't done anything to really 
produce an environment that would make Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah want to stay in the conference. And to me, that's where the failure with the commissioner has really like taken a foothold is that inaction to get the job done, uh, the inaction to get the TV deal done. Obviously, you don't want to rush into a TV deal, see the ACC, who I think will probably preview next week. Um, see them, they have 15 years, they can't get out of it. There's no adjustments on it for change in value, change in market. So they see the Big Ten and the SEC get these super humongous contracts. So I know Kliakov wants to be greater than the Pac-12, but you're losing your two most valuable assets. Once you lose those, you haven't done anything to replace them. So the two variables you needed to correct the USC and UCLA leaving, you sent it to the UC Board of Regents, hoping that UCLA would have to stay. Um, obviously, that wasn't going to work. Um, so you're stuck, and your best schools now are Washington and Oregon, and they are great football programs. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of fan investment, but they are not major national brands. They are not consistently national title contenders. Um, they both had great eras, but they haven't been that – elite team for a long sustained periods of time so you're really kind of in a messy situation in all aspects of the conference no tv deal your top two teams aren't happy your bottom teams aren't happy you have no money coming in um you botch the pac-12 network you don't even have a network for your own conference and that that's just it's not great but i as we're going to get into there are a lot of really good football players there's a lot of really good football teams in the pac-12 there is a really good football conference it's just by far the worstly managed and if you took the even the acc's management level the pac-12 is in a significantly better place yeah absolutely absolutely um I think, you know, sometimes you hit and sometimes you don't. And I think that this is a time that they didn't hit. I think that this is the time where they're I, – I don't know that they'll fire him. It's hard to fire people. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if George Klyakov is like, you know, eh. he pulls a Kevin Warren and goes and finds another job in Vegas or something like that. And if they would be better for that because they need to find someone who is better for them because, again – You've already touched on a little bit if they leave, if these schools leave, right? You've already had, you are you are forever, even if it wasn't because of you, because of this stuff, but these ideas and things started before that, but you are the commissioner that let Oregon, not Oregon, that let USC and UCLA leave. You are the commissioner who potentially leave, lets Oregon and Washington leave. You're the commissioner that let your conference be relegated to the other three, right? Uh, no longer the power two, barely in the power five, just not really a power five anymore. And if, which is probably not going to happen, because again, we're going to get into the really football things. If at all the football goes down where it is no longer interesting to watch, you are absolutely the bottom of the power five because yeah. the only thing that's stopping you from being the bottom is your games are immaculate to watch if you can watch them if you decide to stay up pack 12 after dark and all the other kind of stuff very fun they have all the quarterbacks we're going to get into that if the start if the standard of play drops and you already have the other misses and leadership as you're talking about it's going to get ugly for the pack 12 yeah and that, it really just takes out like 
the thing is, and it really sucks because Stanford doesn't care about football. Um, Cal doesn't care about football, and they're two historically great Pac-12 programs. Washington is finally reinvested into major athletics. Oregon has been doing it. That's why they're kind of a foothold in the powerful uh, tier of college football. Utah is one of the best-run football programs, but we don't know what's going to happen to them once Kyle Whittingham is done coaching, which might be 10, 15 years. It's a long ways away. But, like, there's so many questions about just the future of this conference, you know. And we've seen, like, the Big East was not too long ago, and it turned into the American Athletic Conference. The Big East Basketball Conference returned. And now the American is basically the Big 12, and the Sun Belt is basically the American. So there's so much realignment going on. It is not too far out of the realm of possibilities that the Pac-12 dies, like, as a conference. Like, that has happened time and time again. I even think back to, like, the Southwest Conference. I've been reading a lot about that during this realignment period. They had to merge with the Big 12, and they did not get to keep the name. So, um just looking at all those things um if they don't start getting some stuff correct we might not have a pac-12 which would be like you know you kind of look at like the capitalistic aspects of college football like yeah they didn't run themselves well enough to maintain it but it's also like a sad part losing such like a prestigious conference historically more sports than just football if that is the case because Basketball, the Olympic sports, there's not really a conference better than the Pac-12 consistently over the 100 years history of the conference. Yeah, and (laughs) it's one thing to lose to the Big Ten. If you lose to the Big 12, it's bad for you, dog, because the ACC still has North Carolina. It still has Florida State. It still has Miami. It still has some of those older, more uh, uh, name-recognized blue blood teams and brands and things like that. You can't let the Big 12 get your best teams. You might be able to let them have Colorado. You really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. But you can't let them get Oregon and Washington. You can't let your deal be worse than them. There's a lot of pressure on the Pac-12 outside of, you know, the on-field stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just one of those crazy things, like, if you, if me, like, because me and you routinely pick the ACC for the worst football conference, top to bottom, yes. we think it's the worst one for a football on-field product. The Pac-12, I think, routinely is the third best conference from team best team to worst team. Um, the Big 12 had better high-end teams, but their bottom team sucked for a little bit. Now I think the Big 12 has passed them, but it's close. And with losing USC and UCLA, they're definitively fourth and even potentially fifth. So the pressure to not lose Oregon and Washington is so high because if you lose them, the rest of the conference is done, period. Yeah, especially because the Big 12 had their exodus first, which you can't help, but they had their exodus first. So they took the cool Power 5 team, uh, uh, G5 team. They took Cincy, they took Houston, they took UCF. They took Boise. If Boise's even still cool, yeah. so like, who who else are you gonna get, right? Like, like you can I ain't get North Texas, right? And like, like the really cool ones that were having a lot of success at various moments. I mean, UCF is a national champion. Yeah, are Cincinnati you gonna make the actual playoff? Like, you're kind FCS of in a really bad position. Like, 
no, you're probably not going to want to boost but FCS which, schools what are you up. Doing that? I mean, you're not going to get James like, Madison, are you? Like, yeah, you'd have to get like um, the Montana schools. They have they're not going from games. They're not. I mean, going <laughs> FCS to the Division One jump is insane, and that wouldn't yeah. help. That wouldn't bolster your conference that much. So, the business side of things are not good for the Pac-12. Um, but the on-field product should be awesome. Like, let's like let's get into the other storylines here. Um, this is USC and UCLA's last season. You on I-70, you and Dante have been using them in the Big Ten, talking about them like they're Big Ten members since it was announced. So I'm definitely going to lend this one to you here. Um, USC's easy. Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, the offense is going to be great. Alex Grinch, boo, he sucks. Like, that's where we're at with them. Um, UCLA's in the last season. They don't have Dorian Thompson-Robinson anymore. They lost quite a bit of offensive talent. How do you think they're going to fare in their last season in the Pac-12? I I think um, it's funny because I was looking over Pick 6 previews and I actually agreed with where they had it. USC is going to finish third. It's not gonna. It's not gonna end in this positive way that people expect and want it to end. It's not gonna end with them going twelve and zero and making the playoffs. It's not gonna end with them winning a national championship. With the arguably, as far as college wise, the best quarterback that Lincoln Riley's had. I, I don't think they get the fairy book ending because of various things that we can get into maybe a little bit longer, but Alex Grinch is largely number issue number one, two, and three. Um, I think that yeah. there are some issues with USC's offense on certain stages against certain defenses and things like that, but ultimately the issue is, you know... Uh, they have no defense. That's their issue. And, and people are like, oh, they got transfers, and? <laughs> They're not yeah. good. They're That's not the right guarantee. ones. And, and one transfer is like- not enough. It's kind of like what we always talk about with Ohio State and who was the pro. It's like Mel Tucker. Like, we saw him get a bunch of transfers one time, and it worked magic, right, because they got Kenneth Walker. The second time, it did not go well. So they're in year two of completely revamping this roster, and you're telling me it's going to get better. I've seen the defensive recruiting at USC. It is bad. You don't have anyone inside. Um, Corey Foreman, you know, if he went to Clemson, if he went to Ohio State, if he went to any of the other finalists, we'd probably talk about him as potentially a National Player of the Year candidate Mm -hmm. this year. He hasn't developed at all, and that goes to with so many of their other positions. And if you look at most, like I've got Phil Steele open. If you look at most of the Pac-12 preview magazines, if you look at any of these players returning, if you had to put together your first team, how many USC players do you have on it defensively? I think Mason Cobb is the only guy I agree with having as a first team guy. Yeah, and I think the you know they have. Um... Bear Brian, or that's not his name. <laughs> whatever the, the Bear something, I feel like the whatever the defensive tackle from Georgia is went to USC. But a yeah, single, Bear Alexander, a, Bear Alexander, right here. Bear Brian. Oh my God, Bear Alexander. I knew it was Bear. Uh, you cannot. There is not a single defensive tackle in the world, including Aaron Donald, who single-handedly can win you a national championship or a Super Bowl. So it is great that they got him. Cool. But they had a great one last year who went in the first round, I believe, defensive tackle or DN. It's just not enough. And so 
they're going to be fine, right? They're going to be exciting as they always are, but they're going to be a Lincoln Riley team. And what is a Lincoln yeah. Riley team? An exciting program that loses a game or two it shouldn't. And maybe they make the playoffs. Maybe they don't. I mean, I don't think I'm picking them third, so they're not going to make the playoffs this year. Lincoln Riley is going to get back to the playoffs. It's been a little bit of a drought since he's been there. He's going to get back yeah. to the playoffs and lose in the first round. It's, it's unfortunate it's going to happen with the 12-team playoff, but I just think that they're – two teams that we're going to get into who are just very good and have returned some key things and they have one or two things that Lincoln Riley's not prepared for because as as weird as this is to say going to USC was a step up from what he had to face in the Big 12. He wasn't getting the good Big 12 that it was now. Like he yeah, Texas he was had to be Texas. Through, uh, Oregon State walked Oklahoma State. Oklahoma walked oh, he was Oklahoma. Oklahoma State walked through Kansas. Kansas State walked through like uh he had to deal with Baylor off and on but the Big 12 last year was stronger in my opinion than any of the Big 12 that he faced when he was there with Oklahoma. The Pac-12 as far as playing on the field wise is tougher competition than what he had and so he's going to get them there eventually but it's not going to be now. Yeah and it's really like and you know I it's hard to and Alex Grinch has been so lucky in this aspect like he had to take over a terrible USC defense. So he's going to do the same thing he did at Oklahoma. He's going to take over an incredibly bad defense. They're going to improve in a lot of key statistics, you know, beating up bad teams, forcing turnovers. But that's the thing. A lot of their success last year was based in turnover luck. And when they finally played a team in Utah who was equally as good at creating turnovers and better at not having turnovers, um, they lost both games. Yeah, and turnover luck is the thing that does not translate year to year, unless you're Iowa. It, I was just – I mean, they, that's one of their biggest focuses of work. They're so good at it, it's kind of amazing. But, yeah, on the other side of the new Big Ten members, UCLA, um, they're not going to be bad. They're not going to be good, though. Last year was yeah. their best chance to – compete and win the Pac-12. Um, it really kind of honestly depends on how good their quarterback is. Another one, your guy, right? I'm pretty sure. Uh, no? Yeah. Is he I mean, or was he Kent State? No, you're right. You're right. Okay, so you're right, but he's not going to be the quarterback for long. So I, was, I got a little mixed up in what you were saying. Their starter for game one is probably going to be Colin Slee from Kent State. Their starter by game four is probably going to be uh, Dante. Dante. Or more, yeah. God yeah. dang. There's so many... Young guys. It is Dante Moore, right? Dante's not the Yeah, recruit. it is Dante Moore. Yeah, it's gonna um, be Dante Moore. And I I mean I think I think UCLA repeats. They win eight, nine games. Another good year for Chip Kelly. Um, they they do some things. They have some exciting players. They have some fun uh, things going on. Their defense. There. I I was looking through this. This might be the first year where their defense is better than their offense. Yeah, which is why I think Dante Moore is going to play um, eventually. I think he's going to play. Yeah. At the end of the season, he's going to have more games started than Colin Slee. However it works out, he's going to have more games started than Colin Slee at the end. Um, but, yeah, UCLA, like, I mean, they have pretty decent D-line, pretty decent O-line, pretty decent linebackers. Um, it's going to be tough, but yeah. I think it's going to be a good year compared to what they've had recently. Yeah. Um, 
I think they're going to be fun to watch. They might throw an upset or two out there, but you know, mm-hmm. nothing spectacular, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I, like, I think Chip Kelly is a guy you can trust to have a winning record year in and year out, and I think that's going to be the case this year. They're going to be in some really close games. Um, and if they win those games, this could be a 10-win season. If they lose those games, it could be a 7-win season. Yeah, they're – I mean, they have six wins easy. So it's just can they get to – Is it does it stop at seven or can they push yeah. nine? The and I think that this is a game, year that they can push nine. The toughest thing on their schedule is they have to go to Utah. They have to go to Oregon State. Those two yeah. games, that kind of sucks. Yep, but oh, they but do they, get they get Washington State before Oregon State, who is a tough, feisty team, but they should be able to beat that one. And then they might lose to Oregon State, but then they get Stanford and Colorado. They get Stanford, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State after that. They could easily win all four of those. Yeah. Like, this could yeah, easily be a, a nine-win season, right? A loss to Utah, a loss to USC, and then one loss somewhere to Oregon State, Arizona, Arizona State. But honestly, if they don't lose a game they shouldn't, there's only two losses on their schedule. Coastal Carolina's a win, San Diego State's a win, uh, NC Central, uh, FCS programs a win, Utah's a loss. Washington State should be a win, Oregon State. That's the third one. They might lose to Utah, Oregon State, and USC. Three yeah. losses. That they should e- they could easily be a nine win program this this year. I think that's really good for them. I think that's something that uh, will keep and in certain years will get them into a twelve team playoff. Yeah, one hundred percent. So yeah, I kind of I mean I like UCLA. I like Chip Kelly. Shout out to Chip Kelly for Ryan Day. Always thankful. But moving on, I think the other big storyline that I think is kind of crazy here is the amount of experience at quarterback and. A lot of talent, a lot of guys who are on their second or third destination, um, but it's crazy. So you've got DJ Uangalele at Oregon State. You've got Michael Penix at Washington. You've got Bo Nix, Oregon. You've got Drew Pine. Yeah, hold on. He's experienced. I didn't say good. I said experienced. Hmm. Um, Cam Ward, um, he had a really good year at Washington State last year with Jake Dicker in his first year as a coach. Jaden Delora, who lost his job to Cam Ward, um, had a really solid year at Arizona. Um, Colin Schley, we already mentioned. Cam Rising, he's in however many years. I think this is going to be his third year as a starter. Um, Shadur Sanders, he's going to be in his third year as a starting quarterback, first at this level. And then Caleb Williams, um, who's going to also be in his second full year as a starter, but third year starting games in college. Like, that's absurd. I didn't mention Cal's. I didn't mention Stanford's because they have experience, but you don't want that kind of experience. Yeah. Crazy, honestly. Yeah. This might be top to bottom. We talk about, and we complain about the Big Ten quarterbacks all the time. Top to bottom, this might be the best quarterback conference. It's it's not even close. It's not even close because as much as we complain about the Big Ten's quarterbacks, the SEC is worse. And the ACC may be better than the Big Ten, but they're worse than the Pac-12 because multiple quarterbacks on this list, at least two. And I didn't even mention both. Oh, I didn't say the ACC. Uh, Yeah. A a couple of them came from the ACC. And and the ACC quarterbacks are in different places because one's at Notre Dame, one's obviously at Oregon State, and a couple other places. One, uh, where did the NC State guy go? Is that the one? Devin Leary is at. 
Notre Dame, right? Where, no, Sam Hartman's Notre Dame. Sam Hartman's at Notre Dame. Swing Did Devin, Devin Leary go to the NFL? No, he's transferred somewhere. He's Kentucky. playing for somebody. He went, he went to Kentucky. So the ACC dropped because they had they had they were the ones that could challenge the Pac-12 for quarterbacks. They lost a lot of theirs. It is by far not even close. The Pac-12 is the best, um, the the best conference for quarterbacks right now. Yeah, this is and half of them are transfers. The least amount of questions on these teams with quarterbacks. Like the only one on this list that's an actual question. Going in like Drew Pine's a question, but the coach handpicked him, so not really a question to me. Um, Colin Schley, because we already talked about it with Dante Moore, like that's pretty much a settled competition. Either go with your ultra talented five star freshman, or you go with a guy who's been part of being the point guard to one of the more explosive offenses at the G5 level under but Sean Lewis, correct? Yeah, yes. Um, and that's just – he operates in a very similar scheme. He's been operating that scheme for like three, four years already. So, like, I, it's not like all these guys are going to be elite. Like, not all these guys are going to be perfect quarterbacks. I'm sure some of them will have a regression to the mean a little bit from where they of were course. last year. But, like, just going into the year, like, Michael Panix is, like, your third-best quarterback. He was a 4,000-yard guy last year. And he, if he repeats what he did last year, he'll be at the table. He'll be in New York. Yeah. Um, as long as he, ke- as long as their defense can hold up there into the bargain, Washington could be a sleeper playoff team. I'm not going to comment until we, 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 that's a question for later. I have some thoughts on that one. We'll, we'll save that one. Um, here we go. Um, next on the list, Caleb Williams going for a second Heisman. We don't have to spend no. much time here. He's not getting no. it. No. They He's just don't thing. vote. They just don't do it. They just don't. Said it, said it once. Said it again. He'll probably have a great year. But they, I, I think that there is a certain lore around only having one person who has ever done it twice. And there are, like, Caleb Williams was great, right? But... CJ Stroud could have won it last year, right? So yeah. he wasn't as as much as people tried to make it seem. If we beat Michigan, that's a much closer race, especially because we get we get the um, we get the Big Ten championship game, which is the last one that people see before they do it. There's going to be another quarterback that steps up. I mean, it, it, it's going to take a lot for it to happen. But Marvin Harrison Jr. I, he's going to be up there. Um, I just think it's going to be really hard for him to do it again, even if he's deserving, because people yeah. are just going to hate on him because they don't want someone to win it twice. Uh, so, no, it's not going to happen. He's going to be in New York, absolutely, unless he gets injured. Knock on wood, I don't wish injury on anyone. But unless he gets injured, he'll be there, but he's not going to win it. Yeah, I agree 100%. I was just looking back because the last guy I remember who could potentially do it was Johnny Mansell. Like, and he had 4,100 yards passing the year after he had 3,726 touchdowns, 21 rushing touchdowns. Like, he had 46 touchdowns one year. He had 47 the year before. Like, these are insane stats for a quarterback, right? 
And if Caleb Williams puts up the same stats, there is zero percent chance he wins it because everyone has seen it before. Yeah, it's it's hard to overdo it, right? And they're gonna get you're gonna get voters fatigued, whatever you want to call it. And so yeah, no, he's not gonna do it. He'll be in New York, but he's not gonna do it. Especially, oh man, especially if they don't go twelve and up. They're going to be like, oh, he's not a winner, this, that, and the third, yeah. whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever. Would, yeah. It's not the defense's happen. fault. Uh, my last memory of him is losing to Tulane, so I mean, just saying. Yeah. Heisman winners don't lose to Tulane. They don't. Um, all right, we've got, after this one, the Arizona schools are looking for a resurgent under new coaches. Jed Fish is in year two. He's winning some recruiting battles. Kenny Dillingham's trying to read start Arizona State after the whole Todd Graham fiasco. Um, they're also very much always involved with realignment news with the whole Big 12 thing. It wasn't Todd uh, Graham. It was um, uh, Arizona State was a uh, uh, coach. Everyone just calls him coach. Uh, Herm Edwards. Oh, was it? Yeah, Todd Graham was before Herm Edwards. You're right. Yeah. I mean, Todd and Graham it, still was on the list, but then they went to Herm Edwards, and Herm Edwards had the recruiting scandal and all the other. He had every just, scandal he could. Yeah. He, and it he wasn't just, even for, like, bad reasons. He just was like, I like these kids. I'm going to be a normal person. Yeah, I mean, and, he went there and literally said, I won't call them the Sun Devils because I'm a Christian, and I don't, and I don't associate with the devil. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah, it's just so wacky. <laughs> yeah, no, Todd Graham was Hawaii, and he coached Arizona State. That's why I was confused because he got fired yeah. too. Um, Jed Fish, year two. I'm really excited for Jed Fish. You know, a lot of people are like, why'd they hire this guy? Why'd they hire the guy who's worked under Bill Belichick for like so long? And then you see this guy, and he's literally the opposite of Bill Belichick. The guy's always smiling. The guy is always goofy. Like he's very much comfortable in his own skin, kind of being like in those dad jokes, you know, and I feel like a lot of successful coaches are that way. Um, I, I think he is a real adult and that's what Arizona needed after Kevin Sumlin. Um, and then on the other side, you have the complete opposite where you've got like literal, like he's not old. I can't remember how old Kenny Dillingham is. He's like thirty four, thirty five. Thirty-three. So in coaching years he's a kid. Um and you've got both sides of that coin. Um Kenny Dillingham came up at Arizona State coaching in those high school areas. Will those relationships be enough? I don't know. He's a year behind. Um I think Arizona's gonna be a better team this year. Yeah, I think Arizona's probably going to be better this year. I think Arizona State's going to be better long term. But ultimately, this is a win for everybody because this here's the thing. No one wants anything from Arizona but for them to be cool. And Arizona is one of the coolest places to live and recruit. And they should be like, you know, this is one of the things that Ari Wasserman gets right all the time. Go to the three-star in Ohio that Ohio State wants, right? Ohio State offers him, so it's like, okay, this is a good kid because Ohio State thinks they can develop him. Bring him out there, let him see the weather, let him see the city, let him see the campus. I think it's Arizona State or it's Arizona. One of them has an amazing, beautiful campus. All of that kind of stuff, the the swimming pools, all that kind of stuff, and say, hey, do you want to be – the fifth, sixth, do you want to be the 12th offensive lineman at Ohio State and it take you four years to develop, which some of them do, or do you want to come here, play immediately, and you get to play in this weather? 
there's gonna be a couple that say yes. We don't want anything Wait, from them but to be cool kid and fun to watch. To, you think an Arizona kid wants to leave Arizona to go play in the and cold? All the, and like every other good quarterback is at Arizona. You just gotta get one of yeah. them. Every other good quarterback lives in Arizona. Yeah, like if Brock Purdy went to Arizona State, their whole trajectory those last few years. Oh, they had Jaden Daniels. Let's say Arizona instead. Their whole trajectory is different the last few years. Like you just need to hit those recruitments and you're in a much better place. Absolutely. So Um, I think it's good for I think this is good for everyone because we just need them to be fun. We just need them to be relevant. We just need to see Arizona in a bowl game. Nobody's expecting championship contention. Nobody's expecting finals. No one's expecting playoffs. Just not trash. Just not two, three win seasons. I want to see them. Uh, against Kent State in the Bahamas Bowl. I want to see them, you know, taking on Purdue or something. I just, you know, just yeah, let's fun. get a holiday bowl out of these guys. Yeah. Come on. Um, all right. Uh, we've got the bad teams, really bad. Cal, they're going to be horrible. I have awesome. no confidence about them. Um, I think Stanford's going to be really bad this year. Um, but... I do think I like their ire. I like them going outside the box. Um, what's his name? Hold on, let me pull it up. It's Troy Taylor. That's what I thought from Sacramento State. Like he has recruited at a disadvantage. He's won games in Sacramento, California. If you know anything about Sacramento, um, no, it's not great. I mean, the beam's cool, but that's new. Um, so I think Troy Taylor. You know, Stanford's not in a good place. They are not in a position where their university cares all that much about sports. They have bigger problems than football to worry about right now with their president, you know, fabricating research data. So um, it's going to be a bad year for them. It's going to be a bad year for them. It's going to be a bad year for Cal. And both these schools need to lighten up a little bit about their transfers, especially yeah. when it comes to sports, because they are going to get passed. And at that point, they might as well just go down a division, play in the Pioneer League, and don't do scholarships for football anymore. Right. Um, and the thing is, not that they ever, ever, ever should have gotten the Big Ten invite, no matter what people were saying, them falsifying this recruiting data is a. Uh, not re- oh my gosh it's just my mind is all over the, the place they're falsifying data, yeah. this research data hey uh, I think that kind of limits their chances of getting into the Big Ten where everyone cares about research uh, yeah. just, not that I ever really thought that that was plausible I understood why people mentioned it and wanted it and whatever the AAU and all that other kind of stuff but even if it was going to happen it's definitely not now yeah um all right, we've got we've talked about Dion a lot, but um, let's just go. I'm going to pull up the betting totals. Um, we're going to get the over under on it. Um, three and a half wins. Do they win more or less than three and a half games in Dion Sanders' first year as the head coach? So I'm fairly positive it's under, but it's because it's not because of the reasons that people want to talk about with Dion and different things like that. I'm pretty sure their their schedule is hellish. They okay. have one of the toughest schedules I think in college so football this year. Let's let's it's seasons here. Let's let's do the schedule game. I like to do. We don't do it as often. I think we do it a lot more on I seventy. But uh, let's do it. TCU loss loss Nebraska. Loss. 
Okay. Colorado State. Win. Oregon. Loss. USC. Loss. Arizona State. Coin flip. No, it's on the road. Loss. 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 Okay, so Stanford. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's one and six. Stanford, yeah. two and six. UCLA. Um, I'll go lost there. Two and seven. Oregon State. That's a loss. Two and eight. Two and seven. I'm I'm making two and seven. Yeah. Um, no, they're gonna be two and eight. Arizona's a loss. Yeah. Arizona's a loss. Yeah. Two and eight. That, Washington State's a loss. Utah's a loss. Two and ten. That is yeah. a hellish schedule. It's not a great one. Nope. Uh, like, I don't know how good TCU is going to be this year. They lost a ton of guys, but I know they're well coached and it's in Fort Worth. Um, I know, like, Arizona's a coin flip. Arizona State's a coin flip. Um, Stanford. But there's no yeah, way they win both of them, right? No way they win both of them, yeah. Um, Washington State, we'll see how they are, um, but they have to go to Washington State to do it. So even, like, the winnable games on their schedule, they're on the road. Yeah, and Washington right, State quotes. Right, and Washington State is after they're like two and eight. Yeah. Are you sure they're not gonna give up? I'm not saying they and, will, but are you, you sure know, they're not gonna give up? I'm excited to see their offense. Their defense, I am not excited to see their best players, Travis Hunter, and I'm sure he'll be great, but it's really hard to be a great corner when the rest of your team's giving up like four hundred yards a game. Yeah. And I know everyone's going to blame Dion and say that they're not good and he's a bad coach and all this other kind of stuff. But aside from his slightly abrasive personality that people may not like, this was going to be a two, three year rebuild. Like, yeah, like I can bad. very much see like the Chip Kelly thing where he's like seven and 17 after his first couple of years or something like that. And then he just breaks out with eight, nine wins. Something like it's going to take some time. And the problem is everyone, for some reason, they love the love and they love to hate Dion. And so people are going like his first two games are on national television. That's yeah. not good for them. <laughs> like that's not good. There, there are going to be so many storylines, and it's so bad. They like they fired Mike McIntyre, and yes, Mike McIntyre wasn't the greatest coach. He wasn't getting over the hump, and he's way more boring than Deion Sanders. But they went ten and four with him. They had two losing seasons. Colorado is not a place where you're going to consistently win ten games right now. Like yeah. those five and seven, five and sixes, we're going to rebuild back up to that because think right before that 10 and four season, four and eight, two and 10, four and nine. It's kind of like not to bring them up. It's like what Northwestern used to do where they were bad, bad. And then all of a sudden they're really good because they're more experienced than everybody else. Mike McIntyre was not a bad coach um, and they fired him. And then they got Mel Tucker one year. Great. Didn't work after that. And then it just has not worked since then. And when you have that much coaching turnover, when you have all that, it's just it's a bad situation. Yeah, and they were one and eleven. Let's not forget that. So two and ten, they could they they're probably going to be a better team than their record, but awful awful schedule. Just yeah, just rough. <laughs> like uh, yeah, top to bottom rough. All right, let's go through these pretty quick. Um, non QB players to watch here. Um, I'll start with the offense. I've got Damian Martinez, Oregon State. Um, he had a game last year that I was watching, Pac-12 After Dark, where I'm like, who is this guy? 
And when you have that moment with a college football player, you're tied to them the rest of your life. And that's yeah. just facts. So that's Damian Martinez for me. Um, I'm trying to pull up his game log just so I can find it real quick. So if you want to go on your first, um, hit me with your first offensive guy. Yeah, my first is Roma Dunsey. Um First of all, he is on a record saying that he believes Washington has the best wide receiver room in the country. They don't. But I'd love to see you back it up for one. Uh, for two, just an exciting player. He's like 6'3 and very fast. Like He's easily a first-round draft pick. I would love for him to be on the Colts if we can't tank for Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, he's obviously not Marvin Harrison Jr., but he's a very good player, uh, very skilled, very fun to watch. Yeah. And I think he easily puts up back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Um He's going to be catching some crazy bombs and, and different things from Michael Penix Jr. Very, very fun to watch. Uh, I think he kind of broke out last year. He's going to be uh, – and I think he is – I think he's going to be on All-American watch. Yeah, absolutely. He was one of my favorite. I, I watched a lot of Washington football last year because I'm a big Caleb Moore fan. But him – their whole receiving crew last year was just really awesome. Um, and like the way he was able to take mesh routes at his size and create yards after catch was kind of just absurd to watch. And they motioned him, they got him into matchups. It was crazy. But yeah, funny yeah. enough, the Damian Martinez game I watched was when they played Colorado and he had three mm. touchdowns. Mm. So that's hilarious. The world just always connects together. Um, my next guy is Troy Franklin, Oregon receiver. He is a dynamo in the slot. Um, he is Bo Nix's guy. Um, he had a huge year last season, 891 yards, nine touchdowns. I expect 1,000 yards from him. I think he's one of the most fun receivers to watch in college football. For a guy, he's 6'3", 178 pounds, so – We've all seen receivers like that, and he fits that same profile. Absolutely. My second guy is a guy who has zero catches, zero yards, zero blocks, zero snaps, zero everything in college football. But if there is going to be another – if there's going to be another tight end who takes the world by storm, like the one from Georgia, it is going to be Deuce Robinson, who is a glorified wide receiver. Uh, he is the next best hope of uh, Kyle Pitts. Um, he's the next best hope of a college uh, Travis Kelsey. I am not putting that like a college version of what Travis Kelsey is in the NFL. Not saying he's going to be Travis no, Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a Hall of Famer. I will. No, if he's not Travis Kelsey, he fails. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so but, I think he's going to be very fun to watch. And USC lost Jordan Addison. They have a transfer wide receiver. I believe it's Dorian Singer from Arizona State or Arizona, one of the two. But we also saw what happened with Jordan Addison when he transferred in and his numbers went down. So I don't know why that happened, but I can't say I think Dorian Singer is going to have 1,200 yards again. Or whatever. So, Deuce Robinson. I, I, may, I mean, it may not be spectacular, right? It may only be like 500 yards, but it's going to be like three For or four highlight, insane. right? Three or four highlight catches. Just some. He's going to jump over somebody. He's, he's just going to be fun to watch. 
One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I like Deuce Robinson. Had that weird recruitment, but yeah, he's he's insane. If you watch his high school highlight tape, there's no way you're not excited about him being in college football. Um, my last guy is Jacob Cowing, Arizona. Played at UTEP. He's had back-to-back thousand-yard seasons. I think he is going to be a household name by the end of this year. Gonna be fun to watch, man. My last guy, uh, somehow I have two tight ends, is Brent Keefe. Um, so there's this there's this guy, right, uh, who just you know happened to be a first round pick at tight end named uh, Dalton Kincaid, and uh, shockingly he was the number two tight end on Utah, right? Because Brent Keefe got injured and missed almost the entire season, and Dalton Kincaid balled. He became a first round pick, and you could make the argument if you want to that maybe he was always better and they were misplaying him, or you could just think that Brent Keefe is that good that he yeah. had a first round pick sitting behind him. I don't know what he's going to do, but if Utah is going to win the Pac-12 or if they're going to repeat for a third-time champion and get back to the Rose Bowl or even the playoff, which is unlikely, but get back to the Rose Bowl, it's going to be because of Brent Keefe. He came back for his super senior year because he got injured. He came back with his guy, Cam Rising. Uh, It's going to be different, right? It's not going to be Deuce Robinson fun to watch. It's going to be more traditional fun to watch, more kind of Gronk-ish, right? Actual tight end who does some crazy things. But I think it's going to be interesting. Um, He's averaged 12.7 yards per catch in his career, which is insane for a receiver. Um, That's insane for a tight end. And we'll see if Utah can get back-to-back first-round tight ends. Yeah, they should. This guy's awesome. Um, All right, on the defensive side of the ball, um, Layatu Latu, UCLA, he was a sack leader, tackle for loss leader. Uh, for UCLA and ranked in the top five in both categories in uh, the Pac-12 last year. I think he's going to be better this year. I think there's a little bit more experience around him, and that's going to help him not be the complete focal point. He's always going to be the focal point of UCLA's defense, but he, you're going to have to single cover him a little bit more than they're used to. Yeah, I have Kalen Bullock, who is arguably, potentially, the best safety in the country. Uh, Somehow, people don't recognize that. Uh, He wasn't on any, like, All-American watch list, or not that many. Um, And some of these magazines didn't have him as, like, their All-American list. They had some other guys in front of him. He's just, he's amazing. And it's partially because he plays at USC, and the rest of their defense sucks. But he doesn't. He's very fun. Um... Yeah, he and he is, bought out with he's good. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna be watching him. I want to see if he can repeat it. Um, he's yeah. a high draft pick for sure. Yeah, he is one of those like regardless of position players. Uh, he's a little like undersized for a safety, but regardless of position, he is one of the best college football players in the country. Absolutely, it's not even close. Um. My next guy on the defense side is Lander Barton. I played youth football with his brother. Special shout out. We'll go from there. His family is a lineage at the University of Utah, and he's the best of the three. And he was like one of those kids who was like five feet tall as like a nine year old. And him being a D1 athlete was not a surprise to anybody. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. It's fun that you played with his brother. Uh, does that make you feel old? 
yeah, it makes me feel incredibly old because I remember this kid was still riding in a car seat to our games. <laughs> um, my last guy, I only have two, not three, is Travis Hunter. Hey, you were the number one player in the country, man. Uh, you bought out. Though. Yeah, like you bought out um, at you know, Jackson State. Uh, you played both sides. You did all of this. But let, let's let's just read a couple names again. Roma Dunze, Dorian Singer, Jalen McMillan. Uh, you have Jeremiah Hunter, Jacob Cowan. You have uh, who else? You have uh, Mario Williams. Um, yeah, those are just some of the names of players that you are going to have to cover. Some of the best wide receivers in the country, definitely a lot of NFL picks. You know, there's probably not a whole lot of NFL picks. Um, yeah. There's, there's probably not a lot of NFL picks at, that you're playing against Jackson State. But you're going to play them. So not saying you can't say, do it. This is not hating. I, I'm going to be yeah. watching. I need to see it. I will say this. There's not going to be a single game where they don't play a good receiver. Like, I feel like if at that FCS level, there were games where he was probably not playing a guy who he should have been on the same field with at his skill level. That's not going to happen in the Pac-12. Nope. And the quarterbacks are going to be much better as well. So they're yeah. going to be dropping some some things, some balls in some places that you, you didn't you really think they could do. So, Yeah. All right. Um, going down this list, I think there's four teams. Might be wrong. I might have missed one. I think it's four teams that the world considers contenders to win this conference. And um, it's really only three. Yeah. We've got USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah. Um Bringing down the favorites to win the conference. USC pros, they have Caleb Williams. They have an elite offense. Uh, their running backs are going to be much better this year with the experience. Cons, they have Alex Grinch as their defensive coordinator. I think this is their last chance to win a conference title for at least half a decade as they get adjusted to the Big Ten. And they're not going to win it. No, because I, I think we might be in agreement on this one. Washington, Kalen DeBoer's squad. They return their starting quarterback. They return two of their four, like two of the top four receiving leaders in the Pac-12. They return a lot of their offensive line. They are just really a team that is going to game plan the hell out of their opponents and. It's just really one of those games where their coach, if their defense, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, their defense can just be a little better in some of those shootouts, be a little better in some of those big games. They should be beating teams 25 by, like, 25 points a game. Like, and then the close games, like, they're good. And I want to pull this up because I think this is absurd. And this is something where I don't know if enough teams really look at this stuff because they like to go with the coordinator. Um, Kalen DeBoer's record as a head coach is 90 and 11. It's crazy. And I know a lot of that was at Sioux Falls, but winning 90 games and only losing 11 at any level is obscene. And he turned Washington around immediately. A team that was projected by a lot to have a losing record in his first year, they went 11 and 2. Uh, he took Fresno State, who was kind of flailing after Jeff Tedford was kind of forced into retirement with some health issues. He took him from three and three to nine and three. Like this guy just knows how to coach. 
Absolutely. I mean, man, uh, Indiana, you should have fired your guy and hired him. But yeah, it's much yeah, fun. He, it's much more fun. Off. Yeah, it's, yeah, he's better off. The sport's better off because Washington's going to make the playoffs eventually, maybe this year. So this again, this is just one person's rankings, right? But they have been rated as one of the best in the country for being the most accurate. This is Washington's rankings according to Pick 6 Preview, their unit ranking. Quarterback, number two. Running back in the Pac-12. Running back, number seven. So that's their lowest one. Wide receiver tight end, number two. O-line, number three. D-line, number two. Linebacker, number two. DB, number three. So if you look at this, right, I'm going to do USC's really quick. USC is one, two, one, four, six, three, five. Okay, because the defense is horrible. If you look at this and if you average it out, they, according again to this guy, they have the best team or the second best team roster wise in the conference. It's either them or Utah because Utah has the number one D line linebacker DB and the number two offensive line. There's a lot of numbers. Yeah. I know numbers on podcasts aren't great. Uh, the, my entire point is that they either have the best or the second best roster in the entire conference on top of having one of the better quarterbacks and the best wide receiver core because they're easily the second best wide receiver core in the country. They have a better defense than USC. Um I think you all know where I'm leaning. It's going to be one of one of either them or Utah, and I expect that that is the championship game. I expect it to be Washington yeah. and Utah in the championship. Because I, I think this is something a big misnomer is defense doesn't win championships. Defense doesn't win championships if you have no offense anymore. But Utah and Washington are both going to have extraordinary – well, Utah maybe not extraordinary, but they're both going to have passable offenses. Washington's probably going to have one of the best in the country. Um yeah, let's skip to let's just touch on Oregon real quick. They're they've got a returning quarterback, they've got a returning receiver who's elite. Um, then we get to the Washington Utah debate here. Um, you know, I like Troy Franklin. Brandon Dorless is back. Like they've got some guys who are very good football players. This is not an issue. Buck, Bucky Irving, I think that old means he returned. So they, they've got a bunch of guys who had success last year on a very successful year that many didn't predict with Dan Lanning. Can they improve from 10-3? and three? I don't think so. I think it's just going to be another 10-3 and three year for them. Yeah, and the hard thing with them, and people are ready to buy into it, but I'm not, can Bo Nix do it again? Yeah, that is a huge like question. What, what Michael Penix did for me, I think, is repeatable, especially because we saw glimpses of that, right? We yeah. just he just had a horrible coach, and when he, he lost Kalen, Kalen DeBoer, DeBoer, right? When he had Kalen DeBoer, we saw this. We saw glimpses of it. He gets his guy back with the, a, a much better supporting cast than he could ever imagine having at Indiana, and this is what happens. Bo Nix has never been this, and I just don't know if I'm ready to say that he's going to do that again. They do, like, you know, you've been to, you already said the names. They do have some good guys returning. Um, I I don't think they're going to be bad. I just don't think that they're genuinely going to compete uh, for the championship. I do think it's only going to be three teams, Washington, USC, and uh, Utah, because someone has to lose these games. But I could easily see eight or nine wins. Um, it just depends on how their schedule shakes out. They're not going to yeah. be bad. That's Depending not how it shakes out, that could be enough to get into the conference um, championship, but I don't think they could win it. 
Yeah, and I don't think they. I don't. I don't think they get in just because. I mean, I think, I think it's going to be Washington USC in the championship. I think it's Washington Utah because I don't think USC can beat Utah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where is USC Utah at this year? I think it's in at USC, which that means less for Utah and more for USC. But um, yeah, but like I mean, I'm sure their fans. Well. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm sure their fans are going to show up because they were better last year. Yeah. But like, that's not like a a, a place to really. That's be scared yeah. Of. That's what I'm saying. Like Utah's not going into USC scared. I just think USC doesn't have to go up into Salt Lake City at like the highest. Elevation they'll play in all year. Yeah, and they um they play Utah after Notre Dame, which oh, Notre Dame is game. not going to be. Yeah, Notre Dame is not going to be amazing. I don't think, but it's it, it's it's not an intense easy, game. It's a right, it's still going to be an intense game. Um, you still have to prepare for that. And Utah, yeah. Utah gets USC after Cal. <laughs> yeah, so, you know. Um, yeah, Notre Dame. The thing about that game is they got to go to South Bend. It's at seven thirty Central. It's like a three-hour. Uh, they have a long drive to the airport after the game. They have to go. Let me think about this math. They have to go. I'm pretty sure they have to go to Chicago's airport. So they have to go all the way back to Chicago after they win or lose this football game. They don't really get a start recovery till late Sunday, which pushes back their Monday schedule. And that's not great when you have to prepare against one of the toughest, most well-coached teams on your football schedule. Right. And it's October 21st, so it's midway through. Um, It's midway through the season. And... USC has an early bye. They have a bye after week three. So that yeah, doesn't that help is a rough schedule. Yeah. So um, I, I'm going Washington, uh, USC. Uh, sorry, Washington, Utah in the championship game. Um, yeah. I'll go. I'll go. I'll stick with it. I'll go Washington, USC. I'm a, obviously, we all know I'm a Utah fan. I own a Utah shirt. Um, but I, I'm going to take USC. Challenge the guys. I'll keep Utah on underdog. Um, no, then, only thing that yeah. I would say, only thing that I would say is, if USC is in, I think it's USC Utah. Yeah, I think that would make sense because I don't think, I don't think Washington and USC beat Utah. I think Utah's in no matter what. It just becomes USC or Washington, and I'm not trying to get you to change your mind. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I think it's Utah no matter what, and then it's USC or. Washington, unless Utah faces a, a, a crazy injury again. Yeah, that's why because injuries on anyone. I have Washington as my like you know you have Utah no matter what. I think Washington's yeah. by you no matter what there. So then it's between USC and Utah. Um, but yeah, let's get let's get to our surprise teams. We have the same three. Um, nothing really crazy here. Um, Arizona, they have experience at quarterback. They have talented receivers. Jed Fish has done a good job of getting them reinvigorated. Only worry if they don't fix their defensive issues from last year. This season could be much the same. Um, Washington State, Jake Dicker, he won a lot of games. He wasn't supposed to last year, and I think he's just a guy um, who knows he got this role out of some crazy stuff that happened with Mike Leach leaving and he made the most of it and 
I think that he, he's a player's coach. He really is, and he gets the guys ready to roll, um, and they're very confident when they play. Uh, will they win the conference? No, but will they probably mess up for one of the four teams that are considered the favorites? Absolutely. And then Oregon State, Jonathan Smith. Um, if you want a guy to dial up a game plan to win one game, I don't know if there's a better coach in the country to do it. Um, will DJ Uangalele be more like his previous self when he was a freshman and lighting up the world? His best game last year against Wake Forest showed that there were flashes of a great quarterback there with more consistency. He's got the best offensive coach he's had in his college career in Jonathan Smith, former quarterback himself. That, to me, is a combination that could sneak up on people. Yeah, if I told you, guaranteed, it's absolutely going to happen. They're going to beat, because they don't play USC, they're going to beat one of Utah, Oregon, or Washington. Who do they beat? Uh, Probably, uh, let me see, did they beat Oregon last year? I don't think they They did. They did, by four. Oh, then then it's got to be one of the other two. No, I can see I can see them going back to back. I wouldn't be shocked actually. That's that's at that's at Oregon too. Yeah, let me see their schedule. Um, they got Utah at home. Going to Corvallis is great. Honestly, they might sneak up on Washington before the Apple Cup. Is that how you get USC? That's how you get USC Utah. Could be could be it right there. All right. Oh. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think they're going to be fun. I think they're going to be fun again. Um, but, yeah, give me a second to see DJ Utah's U schedule. Is. Yeah, who, who knows what DJU is going to do, but he is probably the best quarterback that Jonathan Smith has ever had. And I didn't know he was a former quarterback, so you just educated me on that. If he can get something out of it, both Knicks can turn it around. DJU can turn it around. And not yeah. say Heisman contender turning around, but actually but be an productive quarterback. Productive quarterback, yeah. Yeah, and like Jonathan Smith's offenses have been awesome these last few years. And they've been with junior college transfers. They've been with guys who aren't necessarily the most sought-after quarterback recruits. So getting a five-star quarterback recruit, even though his career's been up and down, I, you can't trade that if you're a coach of his caliber at a school like Oregon State. It's just worth the gamble. Yeah, absolutely. So I, they, I, I will go on the limb and say this. Of Washington – Utah and USC. Well, I guess it can't be USC because they don't play them. Of Washington, Utah, like if one of them doesn't make it to the championship game, if it does end up being USC there, it's going to be because of Oregon State. 100%. I'm comfortable saying that. I think all three of our surprise teams, they might not have the record that they want. They might not get back to 10 wins. They might not get to 10 wins, but they will ruin someone's season. Yep. Absolutely. Each of the three like, could be responsible for the Pac-12 not getting a playoff team. Like, yeah, we still might be right. USC, Utah, Washington, Utah, however it ends up being in the championship. But they're going to have that second. Not, yeah, if there's not a playoff contender, it's because one of these three teams. Yeah, and it's going to be because of Oregon State. Yeah. So, yep, it's going to be fun. Uh, Will the Pac-12 be... have a playoff team? Oh, hold on. Hold on. In my opinion, there's only one team that can make it happen. There's only one team that can make it happen. Boise, Tulsa, Michigan State, California. 
Arizona, Oregon, Oregon State, man. USC, Utah. Ugh. No. Washington's gonna win. And my like if I stay true to what I believe, I think Washington's gonna win the conference. But Washington's gonna have two losses. So the answer is no. Washington's the only one I could see going eleven and one. And I don't think they're gonna do it. Because they do have to play USC and they have to play USC, Utah, and Oregon State in the same season. And yeah. they put all three of them back to back to back before the Apple Cup. That's yeah, a horrid end of the season. Um, they start with Boise, Tulsa, and Michigan State. They should win all of those. But it's going to be very hard for them to go 11 and 1. And I, so I'm going to say no. Utah always loses a game that they shouldn't. USC is going to lose to Utah. I don't think any of them get to 11 and 1 because Washington's going to have a hellish four games in the season. So I'm going to say no. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement. I don't think they get a playoff team. And I think that's a good wrap to our Pac 12 preview, the first of our conference previews. Um,. I got nothing else to say. Oppenheimer, Barbie this weekend, going to be crazy. My life's a movie. Um, follow me at Chris Rennie CFB, Twitter, and Threads. And you can follow me at JordanW330. Go Bucks.